Thanks for listening to this Grace Point podcast produced by Cave Media and presented by Grace Point Community Church in Decula, Georgia. For more about our church, please visit our website at yourgracepoint.com. That's point spelled with an E on the end, P-O-I-N-T-E. The website again is yourgracepoint.com. That's yourgracepoint.com. Now, here's Pastor Aaron Zielinski. You can turn to Matthew chapter 5. Going to be reading verses 17 through 20 this morning. And once you get there, go ahead and stand, please, as we read God's word. Starting in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of the heavens. You may be seated. Now, Jesus really kind of clues us in uh, to what's going on here in the very opening words. This sets the tone. See, usually when we approach scripture, uh, our, our culture, we're a very pragmatic culture. We want to read something and say, okay, now what do I do? Okay, well, Jesus isn't telling us anything to do here directly. How does he start this off? Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus is wanting to correct our thinking. We need right thinking, ultimately about kingdom righteousness. Because did you see how he ended that? He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And we automatically think of the Pharisees as these hypocrites, shallow people. We don't think of them very highly at all. But in their culture, the Pharisees were very well regarded. Okay, nobody viewed them as hypocrites. They viewed them as, if you really want to be godly, you need to be like them because they do it all. They know the Torah. They, they follow the Torah. They, they divided it up into 613 different commands that are found in the Torah, and they followed every one of them meticulously. And people looked at them like, wow, they are, those people are amazing. But Jesus said, your righteousness has to exceed theirs, or you don't even have a chance at the kingdom of heaven. And the way he words that is with an emphatic negative. It's kind of a double negative, but that doesn't negate it the way it does in English. It's like, no way, never, not a chance. You won't even sniff the kingdom if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So we need to understand something different about the law and the prophets. This is about our, our understanding and our mindset not just our actions. Actions will follow. He's going to get into specific examples of what he's talking about over the next several weeks. That's, you know, when you get into the Sermon on the Mount next week, we're talking about anger and lust and divorce and some of these other things. He, he really gets into some details. But here we're just talking about understanding, getting our minds right about the law and the prophets. Now, if you look... Um, 
at your section heading, if your Bibles have little section headings there, know that those aren't inspired. Those are just put in there by the editors, the publishers. Um, does anybody have, what does your, your section heading say there? Christ fulfills the law, but what is that missing? And the prophets. That's right, because people just want to take this about the law, but you can't just think in terms of law, because Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we've got to think of this as both. This isn't just about the law, even though that gets some attention. It's not just about that. And in fact, Jesus makes some very, very shocking claims. Go figure, Jesus makes shocking claims. He always does that, and it should always be understood to be that way. First off, when Jesus came on the scene, a lot of his talk about uh, the way to approach God and the way that we interact with God, and specifically the way he begins to call the Pharisees hypocrites and all these other things, and he does things like eating grain on the Sabbath, walking through the corn or the, the wheat fields, he, he's healing people on the Sabbath, and he doesn't wash his hands like they do. And people look at Jesus, they see what he does, they hear what he's saying, and they say, well, I mean, we might as well just take this and set it aside because he's doing something different. He's doing something new. He's not, he's not following the Torah and the scriptures the way that they do. He's doing a whole new thing. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. Slow your roll on this. We're not getting rid of all of this. In fact, he makes it almost seem unbearable because he says, look, none of this is going to disappear. Everything has to be done. You have to do them and teach them if you want to have any kind of a chance. But his life and his teachings were seeming to be opposite that. And for us, we also tend to think our first thought of the law is, praise God, I don't have to do any of that. But what does Jesus say? He said, if you don't do them and you don't teach them or you tell other people to loose them, to relax them, you will be called the very least in the kingdom of the heavens. That's startling because that's very contrary to what we tend to normally think. And then it was also shocking to say that your righteousness had to exceed the scribes and Pharisees because they were viewed as the religious elites. But he's making the point that their strict legalism of fulfilling every minutia of it isn't sufficient. That's not going to cut it. The way of the Pharisees is not the way of the kingdom. And that would have been devastating for them to hear that. So what is the proper way to think about the law and the prophets and the kingdom and righteousness and how all these things fit together? Um, we're going to take a look at exactly what Jesus says we should do in our thinking about it. First, fulfilling the law and the prophets. You see that in verses 17 and 18, Jesus opens this stating that he didn't come to abolish them. He didn't come to set them aside. He didn't come to throw them away. He didn't come to say they're no longer relevant. He didn't come to do that. He said that he came to fulfill them. And notice it says them because the law and the prophets are taken together. But also the law and the prophets, when you word it like that, you're really referring to the whole of Old Testament scripture. This isn't just about individual commands. This is about intent. 
This is about purpose. This is about what they're pointing to, what they're looking at, what they're foreshadowing, that all of this is going to be fulfilled in Jesus, in his kingdom, and in his people. But we have to think of it that way. It's a, you know, when you think of law and prophets, don't think of specific commandments and specific prophecies. He's talking about the whole thing. An example would be when you read in the news and you hear that the White House made this statement. First of all, we know that it's not talking about a house actually talking. What does the White House refer to? Well, I mean, it could be the president, it could be the Senate, it could be anything related to the government at large. And if you're in a foreign country and they say the White House is doing something, they may think of just the whole United States at large because when you refer to our leadership, you're by default referring to all of us. We think of it the same way, uh, the, the term, if you've heard the term, the Kremlin, talking about Russia, that's in the news a lot. And they say the Kremlin said this. That's not a word referencing Putin as their president. The Kremlin is essentially their White House. It's the seat where their government is in Moscow. And really, they use that term for any kind of capital in, in the areas. But the one in Moscow is obviously the most prominent. So that's the Kremlin. But that's what it is. So when Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's speaking of all of this. So we need to know right off the bat, he's not really zeroing in on necessarily every specific commandment and only the commandments, but he's talking about the entirety of all of it. And he really makes that clear by saying not an iota, not a dot. Okay, and and those would be, um, whether it's the Hebrew or the Greek, there's a, a really small letter. Think of it like an I. Okay, a lowercase I in English has a tiny little mark and then a dot. He splits the I up and says, not the little mark, not the dot, not one single speck of this law or the prophets is going to just be cast to the wayside. It's all got to be fulfilled. And he's going to fulfill all of it. But that's significant when you think of it as all of the Old Testament, because he's not abolishing God's plan. He's not abolishing God's purposes for his people. He's not scrapping this and starting over. Some people like to think of the law as plan A and Jesus was plan B when the law didn't work out. That's not the case. Jesus was always the goal. The law was never intended as an end in itself. It, it really wasn't even a means. It was, it was a, something to provide oversight to help them understand how to best live life until Jesus came and made a way and brought redemption. Think of it like the overpass at Harbin's, right? Now that, that that overpass is open, that's great. But you know, the road that, that was running beside it wasn't the original road. The original road was where the overpass is now. But then they had to build a side road until they could get the bridge built. And the side road was never intended to be a permanent road. It was just there until the bridge could be made, right? The law wasn't a failed plan. It served a purpose and it has a purpose. But it was always and only kind of a temporary thing until Jesus came to bring the fullness of it. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm not, I'm not changing the script here and, and redoing the entire thing. I'm coming to fulfill this and in fact, return to what was intended all along. But people have gotten away from it. 
And so Jesus is bringing them back to the true purpose and plan of God. And ultimately, he's fulfilling everything in the Old Testament scriptures by making kingdom life both available and possible for human beings. That's what God intended all along. The law played a role in that, was a part of that. The prophets played a role in that. And that's why Matthew, above all the gospel writers, is so adamant that every time he mentions an Old Testament prophecy or something Jesus did, he says, this was to fulfill what the prophet said. Or Jesus did this in order to fulfill that. And then he quotes the Old Testament uh, phrase uh, or, or verse there. And this isn't just about securing eternity for us which is where, again, we, we tend to default. This is about enabling us to live life with God, both now and in eternity. If you're living in the kingdom, if you're living eternal life, death is just another day. Most days we go to sleep and we wake up wherever we went to sleep at. One day in Christ, you're going to go to sleep and wake up in a different place, but it's still going to be you and you're still going to be living your life just in a very different way. But there's no, there's no uh, real change in, in you. You're, you're still living your life, and it's the same life. It's not a different life. It's the same you living the same life in a very, very different way. But Jesus makes it available. He deals with sin. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He comes back to this same thought about the kingdom and the law and fulfillment of the law and the prophets in chapter 7, another very, very familiar place, he says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Kind of bookends his real dealings with the law and the prophets in the sermon. But that's what we need to think about. And it also implies that our kingdom living now also fulfills the law and the prophets. We've not been given a pass to not fulfill the law. We, we think that way. We're going to address a couple of things where, where we think about that from, but, but our life in the kingdom should still be fulfilling the law in its fullness, its full intent, its full purpose, because this very concept is central to the whole Sermon on the Mount, and that's central to the way we follow Christ. Because this is his most thorough and, and compact, put together presentation of life in the kingdom. We can't just take this and dismiss it. But that means for you, your life following Jesus is also the fulfillment of God's plans, of God's purposes, all throughout the law and the prophets. But what does that look like? What does that really look like for us to live a life that fulfills the law and the prophets? Because our, our two kind of defaults are, well, then we need to become legalists and do everything. Or people say, well, no, it's all about grace, so we don't have to do anything. And both of those are wrong. And Jesus addresses both misconceptions. First, we see in verse 19, reconciling the law and the kingdom. And this is where we struggle. This is where present day Christians struggle because our first thought is to just do away with it. Praise God. You know, we're in the New Testament. Jesus died. There's a new covenant. We don't need any of that. And unfortunately, that makes a lot of us, you know, people call themselves New Testament Christians and view themselves as New Testament churches. And that's, I mean, that's tragic because that's not biblical. 
Remember, I don't know if we, we did this before starting Matthew, but we should have. Um, you know, in front of Matthew, there's that little page that says the New Testament. That's not inspired by God. Okay, it's just Malachi, then Matthew. Matthew is just the next book. Okay, Jesus changes everything, absolutely. But that doesn't mean everything disappears. We need to know about creation. We need to know about Adam. We need to know about Eve. We need, need to know about Cain and Abel. We need about Noah and the flood and what God did and why he did it. We need to know about Abraham and the promises that God made to him. We need to know about David and what it means that Jesus is the son of David and is the, and the rightful king. If we just discard all of the old, because remember, he's not just talking about commandments. He's talking about the law and the prophets at large. We can't just discard all of that. Can't do it. So what does Jesus say? He says, not so fast. He says, the law can't be abandoned. It's going to be fulfilled. And it's going to have its fulfillment in kingdom living. And Jesus makes it even more difficult. If states, if you could bring verse 19 up for me there. Because he really, he gets very, very specific about this. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of the heavens. A single one. We can't relax it. We can't loose it. We can't say, well, you know, that one doesn't really need its fulfillment. No, it does. They all do. And that's not me saying it, because I'm with you. There's some things I'd rather not jump into on that. But Jesus is saying this. So what do we do with it? If we can't abandon it. What about Paul, right? What about Paul saying, I died to the law. I've been set free from the law. How do we deal with that? How do we, how do we handle it? What about living in different covenants? Well, what does Paul say about the law? In Romans 7, Paul says the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Jesus references the law all the time in a very positive light. Have you ever read Psalm 119? What do we know about Psalm 119? It's long. <laughs> yeah. And what, what were you saying? It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And what is the entire longest chapter in the Bible about? It, yeah, it's, he uses, I don't know how many different expressions, law, commandments, statutes, precepts. I mean, all these different things. And he doesn't say they're burdensome, they're terrible, they're a weight that I can't bear. No, he says your commandment is beautiful. Your laws are lovely. Your precepts are mind-blowing. And when people look at our law, they're going to say that people is so blessed to have such an amazing law to govern their way of life like they do. There's not a negative comment about it. So we need to think about the laws. God didn't give us the laws to shackle us, to chain us, to, to steal all of our fun, to be a great big killjoy in the sky. No, God knows what is best for life. He understands the best way for us to live. I don't care what thing you think of. If it has an owner's manual, operating it within its intended specs is going to be the best way to get the best use and the longest lasting use out of that thing. Human beings are the same way. God says, I know what is good for you 
And if you live like this, it will go well with you. Because that's what makes for good life. When he, when he outlawed all sexual interaction outside of a, a husband and wife marriage, it wasn't because God knows all this fun that can be had in sex and says, well, I just don't want him going there. No, he knows that anything outside of that ends in destruction, damage, ruin, hurt, heartache, pain, all sorts of things. I mean, if people would just stick to that one thing, there's no more sex trafficking. There's no more sexual abuse. Imagine that, right? If just one simple thing from the law was changed where people really did live according to God's standards on that, our world would be unimaginably better. Just from one thing. Maybe God knows something. He understands it. And he gave us the law to be good. I mean, Jesus, obviously we know the Holy Spirit inspired David to write Psalm 119, but Jesus could have written that himself. That's how he viewed the law. So why do we view the law with such animosity? If, if you do, if that's the way you approach the law, like it's this horrible, bad, burdensome thing, I would encourage you to pray about that and ask God to help you think differently about the way of life that he's shown us. Because as Jesus' followers, we have to do them and teach them in order to be of substance in the kingdom of the heavens. So now I know what you're thinking. Does that mean we all have to be legalists? Does that mean we have to start learning all 613 of these things and doing them? I don't think so. Because Jesus goes there, but then he goes to verse 20. And he, he says that if your righteousness doesn't exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, you don't have a chance. And that's what they did. I mean, they took that approach. They said, well, if we got to fulfill it all, we better get busy doing them. They broke them down into all their specific things and they start doing them. But when Jesus says this, he's making the point that slavish obedience to every specific detail of scripture is not the point. And everybody said, amen. But that's what they thought. Remember, they were very highly regarded by these people. Everybody viewed them as the way to really honor God with your life. And now for Jesus to say, your righteousness has to be above theirs. I mean, could you imagine the, the deflation in their hearts? We have to be more righteous than them? Jesus, don't you understand? They do everything in here. And they do it right. In fact, they made all kinds of other things just so that they wouldn't come close to breaking these. You know, like there's the command to not do work on the Sabbath. And they say, well, how much can we do that's not considered work? Well, so that we don't walk too far and consider that work, we're going to set a limit on how far you can walk on the Sabbath. God didn't say that. But they said, well, if we're not supposed to work, we better limit how far we walk. We need to limit how much we can carry on the Sabbath so that we're not seen to be doing work. So they could only carry so much weight. They can only walk so far. All these other things they came up with, not because they just love rules, but because they really don't want to violate God's command on the Sabbath. 
It was well-intentioned. Their hearts were in the right place. They didn't view, we, we shouldn't think of the Pharisees of having a works-based uh, salvation. They didn't believe they became God's children that way. They believed they were God's children no matter what because they were descended from Abraham. But they believed the way you lived life as one of God's people was slavish obedience to every minute detail of the law. And Jesus is saying that's not it. So what is righteousness? I mean, if we, if we have to have a certain amount of it to exceed the scribes and Pharisees, we ought to know what it is and how they practiced it. I think a helpful way of thinking of, of righteousness, there are two different ways that scripture often speaks of righteousness. There's a, a declared or positional righteousness. If you are in Christ, you are righteous. But then there's a righteous lifestyle, a, a, a right living. So there's, you know, think of righteousness, the word right starts it. There's a right standing and a right living, okay, that, that are included in righteousness. And, and we tend to think of it usually in terms of justification, like in legal terms. If you're declared innocent, you're righteous, you're in the right. And if you live that kind of life, you're righteous in your living. But we need to get away from some of the, the legal thought of this thing, like God as the, the great big judge behind the desk. Um, th- that's not the full picture of it. And that, I mean, that's a part of it. Jesus is absolutely the judge. Uh, The Holy Spirit is an advocate. You know, there's an accuser. It very much is a court scene where there's a judge and there's a prosecutor and there's a defense attorney. Absolutely. But that's not the totality of it. We can't think only in those terms. Think of being righteous as in the covenant. Okay, in the kingdom. You're, You're declared one of God's covenant people. If you are in the covenant, you are righteous period. Your life may not line up with it, but that doesn't change the fact that you are righteous. You're in the covenant. You're one of God's covenant people. But then there's right living. And that means fulfilling, faithfully carrying out the covenant obligations. Because a covenant is, you know, think of it like marriage. It's has similarities to a contract, though it's different. It's a, it's a partnership. It's an agreement. But both sides take on responsibilities. Okay, when, when God makes a covenant with people, with Israel, he says, I will, you know, bless you. I'll make you fruitful. I'll multiply you. I'll protect you. I'll be your God. I'll be with you. I'll sustain you. But as my people, you need to honor the Sabbath. You need to worship me only. You need to do these things. That's, the law was given as essentially their end of the covenant bargain. Right? God's going to do what he said he would do. They need to do what he's called them to do too. And righteousness is a way of fulfilling your covenant obligations. So in Christ, we're still in covenant relationship with God. That means we still have obligations, a righteous life we need to live. We need to fulfill our covenant obligations as well. And in the kingdom, and this is really the mind-blowing part, we have to go far beyond not less than beyond the rigid legalism of the Pharisees who obeyed every little detail of all 613 commands in the Torah. That's mind-blowing. Has to go beyond that. So we can't just do away with it. 
We have to fulfill it all. But we can't just do every little command and think that that's sufficient. So what in the world do we do with this? Jesus, how do we, how do we balance the letter and the spirit? How do we fulfill it without doing every little thing like the Pharisees did? Because that, that doesn't cut it. It's something different. We have to think of it differently. We have to think of it more about the heart and intent and who we are as a person, not just the things that we do. One commentator said, basically, if all you can do is follow the rules, no matter how conscientiously you're trying to do it, you don't have a chance at the kingdom. And unfortunately, that's the way we tend to do a lot of our Christianity. We read it and we say, okay, so what do I do? I'm going to make sure I do it. Can't say anything mean to people. I'm going to stop saying mean things to people. That's a great first step. But if you're still thinking mean things in your heart, your heart hasn't changed and you're no different than the Pharisees. Need to start being patient, right? Because fruit of the spirit, patience is one of those things. Well, that means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and I'm not going to, you know, get frustrated about that. And, and maybe you don't voice frustration. Maybe you don't complain about how long things are taking anymore. But if there's still that angst in your heart over what you just wish would happen now and why is Jesus so late dealing with it, your heart hasn't changed. You're still an impatient person. And that's why it has to exceed just keeping all the details because you can do all of the details and still not have a right heart. And that's what we're going to see Jesus deal with in specific situations moving forward in Matthew chapter 5 and 6. But we have to understand that fulfilled doesn't mean rigid legalism. It means to carry out its purpose, to do what it intended. And we have to fulfill every bit of the law. And you think, really? I mean, all of it? Yeah, all of it. People like to divide the law between the, the moral law, the ceremonial law, and uh, there's a third category I can't think of off the top of my head. Um, anybody, anybody know that off the top? Either way, it, it's a distinction that Scripture doesn't make. Okay? Scripture doesn't make it. Or the, it's the, um, there's the moral law, the ritual law, maybe civil. I don't know. But who's to say this one's moral and this one's civil, or this one's just ritual, wouldn't, why wouldn't ritual things be considered moral things, or the ceremonial law? Like, scripture doesn't d- define it that way. doesn't give three sections and say, this, these are the moral laws, these are the other kind. No, it, it's just all the law. We can't make our own arbitrary distinctions that we feel make it easier for us. Either we do it or we don't, and Jesus says we have to fulfill it. So how do we do that? If it's about fulfilling the intent and the purpose Fulfillment looks different in different ways. Sometimes we fulfill certain commands of the Old Testament by doing them still. Things like the Ten Commandments. To love God first. To to have no other gods before him. To have no statues or images that we worship. Okay, to to not uh, murder. To not steal. To not commit adultery. Right, we fulfill those things by doing them, by living them. The greatest commandments. Jesus said the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. In doing those two things, you fulfill everything in the law. 
So that means everything in the law boils down to lovingly interacting with God or other people. And so any law that you're wrestling with, take that approach. How does this relate to loving God or loving people? And how can I fulfill that in my life? There are some things in the Old Testament that we fulfill by not doing them. As odd as that sounds. You know, you fulfill every single law related to sacrifices when you put all of your trust in Jesus' sacrifice as being the final one. If you were to start doing sacrifices, you would be saying Jesus was insufficient and therefore you would actually be violating everything this says about sacrifices in the Old Testament. So we fulfill it by not doing it. We fulfill it by, by recognizing Jesus as accomplishing all of it. And so if they ever do build another temple and they ever do start offering sacrifices again, it will have nothing to do with Christ-like godliness because the final sacrifice that God will accept has already been offered. That's it. Other things like the food laws. Really, I mean, can't eat shrimp, can't eat bacon. I mean, that would be a major, you know, blow to foods that I like. But what was the purpose of the food laws? It wasn't dietary. Okay, I'm just going to say that they were not laws for healthy living. I don't know where people get that from. I don't know why we feel like we need to, to justify what God does, even though he didn't. I, I promise you, beef and chicken will rot just as fast as pork when you don't have refrigeration. There's nothing inherently more healthy about beef and chicken than pork. It wasn't like pork is terrible for them, so I'm going to say they shouldn't eat it. That's not it. These are not healthy living laws. The, the Bible never says that anywhere. And you, you might still think that. You're welcome to think it. You, you're allowed to be wrong. <laughs> the scriptures do say some things about the food laws, though. Primarily that they set Israel apart from all of their surrounding neighbors. It showed a uniqueness about them. So when you think food laws, don't think what's best for my body. Think what shows set apart to God as a people. And that's why when Jesus was trying to make a point to Peter in Acts, that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, needed to be accepted in the kingdom, how did God make this point to Peter? He gave him this vision with all these unclean animals that they weren't allowed to touch. And he said, Peter, get up, kill and eat. Peter said, no way, God. I've never and I will never, you know, I can't go there, God. He does it again. He does it a third time. And then Peter wakes up and he's just stunned. Like, what in the world does that mean? Well, then this Gentile knocks on the door and says, hey, God gave my master a vision. And he he told me to, to go get you so you could come tell us about salvation. And Peter said, I knew right then that I was to go with them because God now views all people as able to be in the kingdom. And so in that, the food laws were fulfilled by saying everybody can be in the kingdom. So we don't fulfill the food laws by not eating pork and not eating catfish. You know, you can't have catfish if you're following Old Testament laws because they have to have fins and scales. Catfish don't have scales. Sorry, no more fish fries with catfish. I know, tragic. 
But the good news is we don't have to follow it like that because the fulfillment of the food laws is that the kingdom is for everybody, right? Everybody can be in the kingdom. There's also a lesson in that of interaction with not God's people. See, all of not God's people are welcome to come be God's people. But we also have to have a distinction in our life that sets us apart and shows us to be different because we don't do everything exactly the way they do. And so we fulfill the food laws by living a lifestyle that is different from non-believers. Do you you see how this works? Fulfillment means accomplishing the intent and purpose of it. And we are still obligated to fulfill the intent and purpose of God's plans and purposes for his people. There, There are things that we can do in the way that we live that fulfill it all. But it's it's things that come from the heart from who we are and the way that we live, not just the things that we do. So what this really calls us to do, to get back to where Jesus started with our thinking, is this calls us to understand the law and the prophets rightly. We have to think rightly about the law and the prophets, and really that means all of the Old Testament, remember. So you know what that means? You ought to read it. Yeah, you should read the Old Testament. You should read all of it. You should learn it. You should know it. Because we don't stand in a position where we can say, that's done away with. Jesus said that's never going to happen. He said as long as there's, what did, how did he word that? Until heaven and earth pass away, not the least little thing will pass from the law. Heaven and earth haven't passed away yet, have they? That means there's still a reality of our life. Again, Jesus gave the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. Why? Because that fulfills the law and the prophets. Why did he say, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself? Because on these two things hang all of the law and the prophets. There's still a reality of our life fulfilling these things, but we have to understand them. We can't just dismiss them, can't just say that's not for us. Yes, we're, we're dead to the law. We've, we've been made alive by the Spirit, but we have to understand what those things rightly mean, and it doesn't mean we get to just scrap everything that was before Jesus. We have to read it. We have to know it. We have to understand it and think rightly about it. We've got to wrestle with these things and fulfill them by kingdom living. We often want the easy way out. Yeah, I don't, I don't got time to think about all that. Just tell me what to do and not do so I can get on with living it. Well, well, that's what you don't do. The way we do kingdom living is we wrestle with the word of God. We dig in, we dig deep, we listen to the Holy Spirit, lead and guide us in understanding his word. And then we live it out joyfully and with a vibrant kind of joyful, spirit-filled life that will attract the world when they see something different about those Jesus people. That's what it means to live in the kingdom. Read ahead for next week. Read ahead. Because he gets into the specifics of what this looks like in several different areas. And and you've got to keep this mindset, though, that he's going to tell us what the law is, but then he's going to tell us what the law meant and how we fulfill it with our life. And it's not a slavish obedience, but it's not kicking it to the curb either. So we need to to seek to understand these things rightly. 
Thanks for listening to this Grace Point podcast produced by Cave Media and presented by Grace Point Community Church in Decula, Georgia. For more about our church, the website again is yourgracepoint.com. That's yourgracepoint.com. Until next time, God bless you.